James Altucher. Stephen Dubner. I've got a question for you, which we almost Another asked. Another question? We almost asked. How many questions are you going to ask today? Let me see how many questions I have on my list of possible questions. The number is infinity. I have 10. Did you know there's no end to any questions? Do you know there's more? Because you know why? Because the minute you last ask what you think is your last question, you can say, are there any, do you have any more questions? Well, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're actually wrong about that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. There's this. This is a whole area of mathematics. There's actually more questions than infinity. Anyway, we don't care. Wait, isn't that. that what I said? Is that no, no? More, you oh, said there's the, infinity. Oh, oh. There's actually more than infinity. Oh, no, it's this like, is, it's this like all of one to, instead of all of zero. Thing, brings me back to being eight years old. Infinity plus one. I think infinity plus George, infinity. Infinity squared. The mathematician, um, I think Gödel proved this. So not anyway. to me. All right, not to you. I didn't get the memo. No, I, I don't know what. In, I have no idea what infinity is. My brain, my brain cannot engage in the notion of infinity. It's a. It's the whole th- idea that there's more real numbers than integers. So in, there's infinite integers, but there's m- more than infinite real numbers. And he proves it, but he mm-hmm. also proves that the number of theories, which you could argue is a question, is greater than the number of proofs, mm. which is an answer. So he 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 does a mapping of theories onto real numbers and proofs onto integers. It shows that there's more questions than answers. Mm. So anyway, there's a greater than infinite you number just, of questions. You kind of stunned me into an appreciative silence. Well, I have to read uh, Gödel, uh, Asher, Bach. No, I like it. My my brain just got expanded a little bit, not infinitely so, but expanded a little bit. But you were going to ask a question yesterday, <laughs> which now we never got to right, it. This but is now from- we can get to it. Pellymonis, P-E-L-L-Y-M-O-N-E-S. I have no idea if that's a human name or a nickname. I have no idea if it's a male or female. I don't know where this person lives or doesn't live. I don't know if this person exists, but Pellymonis wrote to say, why do people always believe compliments? Not sure that's true, but think criticism is always wrong. Okay, let me let me say, I think Pelly is perhaps overstating it. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. I don't always believe. Actually, a lot of people don't believe compliments. You know what? I, that's what I was going to say. I, I'm kind of the opposite. I don't believe any compliments. Yeah, I don't think I do either, really. Like, I walked in this morning. I'm, I'm very happy when I get a compliment because most of the time I'm insecure and don't believe it. Well, how does that make myself. you happy then if you don't believe no, it? No, if someone, so I get it's like a quick injection of happiness, which then fades after about it's like a minute or two. Like a sugar rush, then you feel yeah. worse afterwards. Maybe or just like I get I walk- back to my baseline of insecurity and. All right, so maybe we should make today's question instead of this compliment criticism. Maybe we should make this about how can we increase James Altucher's level of self security. Yeah, although I won't believe it. I'll only believe it for a few minutes. I actually feel pretty secure in. Some aspects of my life, but not others. Mm. So, do you want to talk about one aspect? Do you want to take the secure, the less secure? Which would be more fun? I feel secure in what, and we've talked about some of this on this podcast. I feel secure that if I keep to not necessarily a routine, but if I physically stay healthy, if I stay in contact with my friends every day, if I'm creative every day, and if I'm grateful every day, as corny as this sounds. I'll have a good, healthy day, and that's the predictor of tomorrow. So that's the way I live my life. I have confidence in that. I don't have confidence in anything else. I think that is a so, really good series of uh, decisions. So, for make. instance, I don't. I'm not confident in my ability. If I start a business, I've had a lot of businesses that I've started that have 
failed. I believe I've learned a lot. Like I have a good business sense, but I also realize I'm not really that good a CEO. I'm not that good at like do you like managing a business. do you like doing no, that? I don't really do you like, like that starting much. companies? Do you like being a CEO? No, I so don't. So why do you why would you even think about one? Why for, do you care that greed, you think you're for, not good for at? money? Why do you care about? I mean, don't you have enough money to live on? I mean, thanks to this very lucrative podcast and. <laughs> Other business <laughs> ventures of mine, you know. But this I've turned, podcast will keep you in breakfast cereal. But I've turned, I've turned out to be a better investor than a business owner, so I'm I'm better at backing other people running businesses. But it's interesting that you isolate a thing that you say that you're not good at, that you've done a few times, and I and you've probably failed less than you're making it sound as though you failed at it. That you've probably succeeded more often than you're letting on. But why would that contribute to a feeling of insecurity? That's like me saying I'm not good at uh, race car driving. And, uh, you know, it's something oh, that— Oh, I am horrible at race car driving, by the way. <laughs> I went on a racetrack, and I got a lesson. Yeah. And the guy was a professional race car driver. And he said to the CEO of the racetrack afterwards, that is the worst student I've ever had. Although he did say perhaps he's so bad that maybe there's opportunity to— for him to learn because he doesn't even have he doesn't even have any good habits at all. I could potentially teach him some good habits. I was thinking maybe they were going to say potentially maybe they could learn from you like they could isolate <laughs> how you did it and then teach everything exactly the opposite, which would be valuable for them. But wait, let me ask you this. How did, how did or do you feel about that? Did being told that you were a terrible driver give contribute to your level of insecurity in any way? No. Or maybe right. I'm not right. as insecure as I as I Why think. would it? Yeah. So Actually, I was sort of proud. I got like just now. I was like a badge of honor a little bit. I was the worst student. See, it's funny because you always talk about how you hate the formal education and schooling system. And I get it. I identify with that. I hate it less than you, although I, like you, think it needs to be revolutionized much more aggressively than it's being. But the thing that I dislike about it most is this. We take humans at their most kind of exponentially explosive period, right? When you're young and your brain is just growing and learning and your decision making is just all over the place your creativity is potentially all over the place and we take these potential monster creative piles of atoms and then we send them into a system where all of them no matter how much they may differ from one to the next all have to try to be good at this entire slate of activities which bear no resemblance to each other. You have to do music, you have to do painting, you have to do phys ed, you have to do math, you have to do reading, you have to do da 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 You have to also be nice to everybody, you also have to learn how to sit in a room with 25 people and raise your hand, da-da-da. And if you're not good at any one of them, you're made to feel like, oh, I'm pretty bad at that. Who's good at everything? Right. Nobody's and, good at and everything. And also the, the, the kind of percentage of being good at something that makes you a success or a failure is very arbitrary. So basically, to get an A, you have to be 90% successful. I, it's funny because I was, maybe we've talked about this before, but when I took Molly, my daughter, onto the tennis court and started teaching her how to serve, she was, at first, she was disappointed right away because maybe most of her serves weren't getting in. And she's used to, all kids are used to getting like 80s and 90s and 100s. On, <laughs> she, people, kids even get like 105s now on tests because there's so much, they came up with a formula to get more than 100% on all these tests. But the real world, like my you, kids have never gotten a hundred five. Really, your, your kids must be kicking ass. Your kids yeah. are are they are they smart kids? Are they <laughs> stupid? What's going on? Um, but they're not hundred and five smart. Well, yeah, that's because maybe in the city they don't let, they don't give extra credit in the city. 
My kids grow up outside of the city where extra credit grows on trees. So you're saying that kids, that the school system, in addition to doing all the things that you don't like that it does, it also spoils well, kids. Well, th- even in business, you know this, like a common thing in business is to if 51% of your decisions are correct, you're probably going to have a home run business. But 51% in any context of school, from kindergarten to graduate school, 51% would throw, get you thrown out which is why I got thrown out of graduate school. I had actually probably more like a 25%. (laughs) After this one message, we'll be right back. Get out your passports, because you're about to cross the border into hard nation. I'm Mark Hard, a proud conservative. And I'm Pete Hard, a godless liberal. We're two brothers with different perspectives, but a passion for politics. And now we bring that passion to our show on Earwolf. Now, finally, there's a podcast that tells it like it is about what's really going on in this country. That's right. It's the election of the century, and we're the only ones willing to ask the real questions like, Hillary Clinton, what do you order at Chipotle? Or Ted Cruz, who would you cast in Ghostbusters? Check out Hard Nation today on Earwolf.com, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Ooh, it's going to get hard in here. Get hard, people. So it sounds like we both disagree with the premise of the question, which is that why do people always believe compliments but think criticism is always wrong? It sounds like neither well, of us well, okay, actually— I think he's projecting. I think what he's doing is he has someone in his life— He or she or it. Yeah. He or she has someone in his life or her life that, that she's criticizing and is not listening to her or oh, him. Oh, And so she's like, why? Of- or he's like, why isn't she listening? Dr. It's, James. I have good criticism. You're and good. I don't want her to listen to me. So, you know, that is... Um, I am a psychologist on Twitter, so... You are a crafty fella. Okay, so let's let's um, let's assume that's the premise, and let's assume that certified. the premise is even true. No, not you being a site. I'm talking about Pelimonis here. Um, but why, if this is true, that, peop- that someone or many people always believe compliments or often believe compliments but think criticism is wrong, why would that be? Do you have any, do you have any suggestions for a person who thinks that to be true? I think the person who's asking that probably needs to deliver constructive criticism. I think people get automatically defensive with just like, "Oh, you suck at golf." Well, I, you you might you may or may not believe that, but it's destructive. It's not going to make you feel good. You're going to get you're going to feel defensive right away. You're gonna, if I say to you instead, "Hey, Steven, if you turn this way and hold the grip this way, you try it out, experiment, and your golf uh, swing might get better." You might take that criticism ten times as much as you get. Or destructive would this criticism. be constructive criticism? Like, and we've had, by the way, now I do remember, we did a podcast with Manoush about I'm, constructive criticism. I'm glad you remember that. I was starting to worry that you did I don't have Alzheimer's after all. <laughs> so would this be constructive criticism if someone said to me, you know, Stephen, I love playing golf with you because your ineptitude makes me feel great. That's uh, not constructive. No, that's, that's just, not constructive. That's just passive You're actually, that's I, I feel like uh, that would be destructive. So the person who said that to me, I shouldn't think of them as my friend. Is that what you're saying? Probably you should stop hanging out with them. Did I, right. Have I said that to you? No, you, you haven't. No, we've never played golf together. I want to I want to get you out there, though. Um, All right, what, what would be my handicap? I don't need a 60 handicap. Um, I don't know. It'd be fun to find out. A handicap is a real measurable thing. You know, how many strokes you would need to... Equilibrate, so uh, we could we could figure that out. All right, but um, wouldn't you agree, James, with this question asker, at least with the baseline assertion that it is hard for a lot of people to hear criticism? Period. I just, I think if the criticism is destructive, that's that's probably true. 
All right. How do you give me? Uh, let's ma- let's invent a scenario. Let's um let's make it work scenario. Let's say that you're a manager, and let's say that you've got someone working for you. Could be a company that you've had for real. Could be something that you uh, you know are envisioning. And t- and and so tell me what the issue is with the employee, and then give me the two versions of the criticism: the constructive and the destructive. Okay. Let's say an employee's always late to work. You know, it's just a common thing. Destructive might be, you must be out all night partying, you know, get here earlier. I wish people could see your sneer. <laughs> you have such a, like, <laughs> partying. Partying. Reading. You must be up all night reading. <laughs> uh, reading a book. Or you can say something like, hey, um, we really want you to succeed. Your work's really good, you know, when you get here. But tell me a little bit more about what's going on at your home. Maybe we can figure out how you can get in earlier, or maybe there's a way we can adjust your work hours so that you're not always late. I don't know. Wow, I want you to be my boss. (laughs) I was a very good boss because I was... uh, Were you? Were you? Yeah, because I never really blamed anyone for anything. Well, does that mean you're a good boss, or does that mean that your employees liked you because you weren't... It it means they liked me because I wasn't so much of a good boss. Is that why you were a bad CEO, though? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's hard, though. It's hard. You don't want people to hate you when you're a boss. Well, it's interesting, though, because a good boss wants people to hate them. (laughs) Is that true? Well, maybe a good boss doesn't care one way or the other, I don't think. I don't even believe that. I don't believe that. If you make decisions, there's a reason for a decision, and some people will like it, and some people won't. I'll tell you, the best bosses I've ever had, I haven't had that many jobs, but and I haven't had that many great bosses, but the best boss I'm thinking of, and I didn't really, even though he was my boss, I thought of him as more like the best editor I've ever worked for. Okay, who was, was it? What's his name? Adam Moss. Okay, I He's don't know. A, now at New York Magazine. Before that, he was at the New York Times Magazine for many years. That's where I knew him. And before that, he'd started a magazine called Seven Days. Um, and he's a brilliant editor, but he was also a great boss. In retrospect, at least, even though there were a lot of times uh, I would be, um, you know, upset with decisions he made or commands he gave. And the reason why is, the reason it was upsetting was because his standard was really, really high. And um, often the feedback he gave uh, was critical. But it was Constructive. Um, I would say it was constructive, but it it stung. It it's it could sting, but I will tell you this. But it guided you, whether it stung or not. It probably guided you in the right direction. I learned a lot. I learned a great deal. Um, so I think if, I think criticism has to come packaged with education a little bit. And we discussed this mm-hmm. in the last podcast a, mm-hmm. a bit as well. This is just a guess, but I'm saying most people probably don't give constructive criticism, and that's why their criticism falls on mm, deaf ears. Yeah. I would like to add one component to this conversation, which is why, if people think, quote, think criticism is wrong, why that would be. Wait, first off, I just want to say you suck at podcasting. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I, I feel that's really uh, thoughtful of you to say, and that definitely is going to fuel my improvement. <laughs> Not. So I think that one reason why a lot of people may think that criticism toward them is wrong, quote wrong, is because confidence can be such a fragile thing or mm. that our self-confidence, is, we're, we're very vulnerable. And that I feel that a lot of people probably believe they can't afford to have their confidence taken down and therefore a coping mechanism would be to say, well, if someone is attacking my abilities, in order for me to maintain my belief in myself, I'm just going to assume that what they say is literally wrong. And I think that's a danger because I do think confidence is 
hugely important in a lot of realms, but false self-confidence, I think, is a bad trap to fall into. I mean, I think we, we know that people definitely defend themselves when they get destructive criticism. And, you know, again, if someone's open to it, they improve with constructive criticism. I don't know who... There is some re- interesting research in the early education realm about self-esteem with kids. So, like, there's been a movement in the last... I don't, I don't really know. I don't know this literature well. Movement in the last maybe 20, 30 years that basically the way to get kids to do well, to perform well, is to build their self-esteem, right? So to say, hey, you know, yo-ho, you're such a bright or motivated or whatever kid, da-da-da, and kind of plant these seeds to create self-esteem and that that will lead to better performance. But the data that I've seen seems to indicate that's totally backwards, that you get self-esteem by accomplishment and that by planting or trying to encourage literally self-esteem, it's just too artificial and you might get a little bit of a boost immediately, but that it will fall off because the way you actually get confidence or self-esteem is by accomplishing. And the way you accomplish is by working hard, understanding where you're not doing well, and actually learning to improve or fix it. So so I think to this person, Peli Monis, or for anybody who's thinking about it, I think, yeah, I think it's forget about delivering the criticism. Let's pretend you're not on the delivering side, on the accepting side. Absolutely be willing to absolutely any criticism. Learn how to have good taste in determining ad nauseum attacks. Which from, is hard. It, it can be very yeah. hard. Particularly like if you're, let's say, a writer in or writing, something yeah. where it's a little more ambiguous. If someone's like lashing out at you, you don't know what they're projecting onto you from their mm, own yeah. lives. So it's hard to know. But I think there's nothing more powerful than true confidence. But I think true confidence must be earned. What's the best way to show your love for Question of the Day? Just go to iTunes and write us a review. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe. That way, you won't miss this. Angie, who is known as at Angie underscore LK, I believe. And her her proper Twitter name is Life with Angie. Angie says, I have a question for both Stephen and James. Would you ever eat bargain sushi? James, you can go first. Would you eat bargain sushi? You eat sushi. Yeah, I would definitely eat bargain sushi. <laughs> Question of the Day is produced and mixed by Nathan Rossborough with Allison Hockenberry.